Happy Friday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 uh, Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm your other host. Uh, my name is Chris Henry. I'm with the EAA Aviation Museum. Up there in frozen, oh. <laughs> frozen Wisconsin. <laughs> Yeah, oh my gosh. yeah, we're we are frozen solid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you can really deal with watching watching the lunar module at this time in the movie, it's probably oh yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the feel for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I feel like for... I'm outside the spacecraft at this point here. So uh, we had we, uh, we me and Jim were talking. We had temperatures of around with the wind chill negative fifty two here, oh. and uh, I didn't know it got that cold on Earth. So. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that was quite a shocker for me. Yes, so, welcome to Mars, boy. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh, <laughs> there's actually wow. there's icebergs on Lake Michigan right now. That's incredible. That's yeah, just, they were showing on the news tonight. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, another, speaking of another world, we're, <laughs> well, uh, we're, we're in a nice, comfy, cozy, very smoky uh, conference room here. While uh, while all the NASA folks and the uh, they kind of pile on the the Grumman guy. And uh, asking him, you know, uh, what what can we expect from the lunar module? And this, uh, we we talked about this yesterday, but the uh, it, the way that Grumman is treated in this is really not the way uh, Grumman was. Yeah, it and it, it is a tragedy because I think this is what people come come out from the from the movie it not being true. But you know, Grumman was uh, was an incredible resource for NASA at the time. Well, and I think the people, especially if you've ever seen. I know we reference it a lot, but if you've ever seen From the Earth to the Moon and you've seen the Spider episode about building the LEM, you get a really good idea of what went into that with Tom Kelly and his crew. And you understand that these guys are really proud of the LEM. So yeah. total, I mean, and like I said yesterday, you know, Gene said himself, total opposite of what actually, you know, happened. You know, that the Grumman guys actually, you know, 100% stood behind the machine saying they do whatever it needed to do outside of the flight plan but uh you know different time you know in in yeah this movie was made you know today we probably would have told that story a little bit more where at the time i think they needed they just wanted something to maybe have a little joke or something you know a a brief bit of humor in the movie i think apollo 13 wouldn't have been told as a movie i think it would have been like a netflix miniseries and you would watch six episodes yeah how how are they going to get back yeah um yeah but but you know i mean one of the things and and once again i mean i keep keep banging on this but the uh if you get uh tom kelly's book moonlander uh how we developed the apollo lunar module it really goes into the detail of how many people i mean not only do they have the lunar module guys at mission control in what they call the back room which is on the same floor that the 200 wing of, uh, of mission control they had about 60 guys there uh all you know all really senior engineers who knew everything there was to know about the lunar module then behind them they back in beth page in long island new york they had over 200 guys working in real time at, uh, at, at their mission, what the equivalent of their mission control, uh, their operations center, as well as uh, a control systems engineering. They actually had a lab set up with uh, lunar module computers, uh, lunar module simulators, and the actual equipment that they could look at to uh, figure out how to tease every last jewel of energy out of, uh, out of the lunar module. A lot of the uh, and one of the big things that they miss in 
in this story is the the chain of command was really messing things up here. I mean, it, it, this all sounds like teamwork getting together, but there was a big problem with getting the information that was known by the people that knew it, the engineers up in Bethpage, getting that pushed up the chain of command up to Gene Kranz and then into the mouths of the Capcom to tell the crew. One of the biggest problems they were having right here was uh, the power situation. The lunar module, and we'll, we'll show in, in future minutes, they'll talk about having enough power for a re-entry and things like that, but it was more than that. Getting the lunar module to operate for 133 hours of, of flight time is very difficult because the computers, uh, the guidance system, all of that stuff took up a lot of energy. That was coming out of big silver-zinc batteries that, that were in the lunar module. It didn't have a fuel cell. It didn't have solar panels. It had these big, basically like big car batteries uh, that were powering all the different systems there. And it was draining, draining it minute by minute. So while all these guys are sitting around chatting, there's a whole other thing going on with the Grumman people. The Grumman people are on the phones from Bethpage to Houston. And then uh, the Grumman contractors that are sitting in the, in the office behind this are listening to them saying, turn off everything, get it all off now, because we're not going to have enough power to get home. And they, they kind of slide over that in, in this minute because you're seeing this exposition explaining uh, what the different systems are and who's responsible for it. So I, 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 like, like, like I said yesterday, it's only a two-hour movie, so you don't have, you don't have the room <laughs> to tell that story. But it's, it's kind of frustrating seeing it here. And, and I wonder if the whole point, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, just watch that clip. Um, you know, I wonder if part of it is that, uh, you know, they were trying to give you the impression that, systems were being operated outside of their norm and I, I and i wonder if that's you know rather it, it just happened that it was the lem as a whole but i'm wondering if that's what the intent with of that writing was was just to show you that you know because that was happening obviously they were using yeah. stuff that it, as it wasn't really intended to be used for and i'm wondering if they were just trying to show you that and grumman kind of got caught in the <laughs> the yeah, crosshairs they, I mean, they, of that writing. They, you know? they kind of were the whipping boy for the whole thing in this in this particular movie. But yeah, you know, it's, yeah. And, I mean, and I'm sure that while all this was going on, the other side of the story that they haven't told is imagine the drubbing that North American Rockwell was getting for having their spaceship blow up. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean that's 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 probably going to be all part of the investigation after this. Uh, oh yeah, show, but, yeah. And what's funny is after they got back, as a matter of fact, uh, Grumman sent North American a bill for uh towing uh for towing the uh dead command module around in space yeah. uh they also charged them a fee for extra occupancy in the uh, lunar modules so um i never heard what that bill was but i heard it was like some crazy amount or yeah, something I mean, like well that. if you're doing it per mile you can imagine <laughs> yeah exactly it gets pricey wow yeah yeah a dollar a mile would be uh what two hundred thirty thousand. <laughs> so yeah yeah um so we're seeing a, a couple of things going on we watch uh uh we we well, while they're talking about what, you know, the mission, the mission was originally to go to the moon, but now that's over. So now they're going to have to de design a new mission and figure out how to, how to do it. it. The second half of this minute is spent in uh, mission control. And there's a couple of, a couple of things going on. Uh, we see uh, some maintenance going on. Interesting th seeing that modular design of uh, mission control, that uh, all those individual stations could be tailored to whatever they needed. In this case, they were swapping out uh, what looks like a an old uh, uh, multi, it, basically it's a multi-channel um, telephone uh, switchboard. So they were swapping out a switchboard there, but that could easily, you know, you, you can see how they're, how they're it has a standardized size. I think it's the 19-inch panel. 
and you can pick you know either half a 19 inch or a full 19 inch panel that you could drop in and put a monitor or put a uh, you know a bunch of buttons that you want so every one of those uh, every one of those stations could be uh, could be set up however you needed it to, to be and uh, here it looks like they're just taking out a bulky uh, telephone exchange and putting in a, a you know <laughs> terrible time to lose <laughs> lose your phone system but yeah. uh, at least they can do it on the fly and this kind of is a, a lead-in to uh, we're in day four now and we're watching the uh, uh, the flight director telling uh, the mission control people that he needs to get some, these people need to sleep because they're going to start getting sick and uh, you know he's he's telling them to talk to the FAO which is the flight activities officer and the flight activities officer is the one that basically writes up the grand uh, calendar for everything going on and you know where in mission elapsed time different people have to do different things. Where do you take a couple of hours out to say, you know, <laughs> ignore the emergencies and, and take a snooze? <laughs> I couldn't imagine uh, trying to sleep. I don't think I could, you know, I've thought about it, and I don't know if I could, I couldn't imagine trying to sleep even on, like, a normal, like, everything's going A-OK mission. Like, I, I I think I'd just be glued to the window the entire time and be guilty <laughs> of that. <laughs> Yeah, maybe you just, you just take a cat nap while you're leaning up against the window. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just keep thinking every time you wake up, you'd feel like you were falling. You'd be just like, <laughs> I, I'd have to have my hands like handcuffed because I'd be like jumping up, going whoa, whoa. So, uh, <laughs> just uh, yeah, very, uh, very odd. But yeah, like he was saying, one of the things that doesn't really come across clearly in this thing. I mean, you know that it's cold. It's it's getting cold in the lunar module, and I always have a hard time sleeping when it's cold. I need I need my blankets. I need it. So I don't think I think the cold would keep me awake. I know that's why, like on um, well the old Letterman show the and the, I think they still do it on the Late Show that um, if you go to the Ed Sullivan Theater, the the temperature of the Ed Sullivan Theater when the show is going on is fifty five degrees. So oh yeah, I've been there. You are you are wide awake. When it just... Yeah yeah no kidding. It is chilly in that theater. I, I, yeah I went and saw Letterman when he was still on the air and it was. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'll that'll wake you up. It's it's like watching it in a, you know the back room of a butcher shop. It's kind of burr. Yeah. So. Wasn't there a deal where, and I could be completely wrong. And keep in mind that uh, I, I'm still learning my space stuff here. But uh, wasn't there a deal? I thought I had read where like if they were if they were really still that they would keep kind of warm, but like yeah. the minute they moved, like they would lose that. That, that's right. The, yeah, there, there's there's no convection. You know, in in space there's no convection. Heat rises, but if there's no if every way is up, it, the heat won't rise. So it stays. You kind of heat the little you know maybe half inch around you, the air that's around you. But the problem there is that if you don't get the air moving around you, you're going to build up your carbon dioxide, and you'll eventually you know it, you'll you won't oh, suffocate. You'll just start breathing fast. Huh. So. So, you know, it's damned if you do kind of a thing. <laughs> you know, one of the things that doesn't come across on this is that the temperature in the lunar module, once they, w- once Grumman got their message through and said, power everything down, turn off the IMU, turn up, you know, every everything in the system, the temperature dropped to 38 degrees for the rest of the mission. They were, they were sitting for, you know, three days wow. in 38 degree temperature. And all they're wearing is that light cotton uh, jumpsuits that they had. Wow. That's insane. Yeah, and nobody you know. brought blankets. So, <laughs> and you know, it, what was funny was I had mentioned to Gene one on one. We were talking about thirteen once, and he just said, "You know that that crew was so great about it. You know, it was uncomfortable. You know, everything else, but they never. He said they just never complained once to Mission Control about it." <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I mean, they did mention about the kidney problems that, that Fredo would later have, I think. But I'm not sure how, how other than knowing that his temperature was going up. I, I don't, you know, he, he was coming down, he was suffering from uremia and stuff. Right. Uh, other than that, I don't think they really, and you can go back, I'm reading the transcripts in the Apollo Flight Journal. By the way, if, if you're on the internet and you really want to have some great times, read some of the transcripts on the flight, Apollo Flight Journal because there's some fascinating <laughs> insights in the back and forth between Mission Control and the, and the astronauts. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like the one where there's one where Jim Lovell is uh, eating a hot dog. Yeah. And he's talking about what he put on it. And I think he put uh, ketchup on it. And they said they'd forgive him this time <laughs> and uh, stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, Chicago, to the, true and true. In this last part, after, I mean, the, the flight director's kind of blown off on the side. and it, uh, I'm sorry. The flight surgeon is blown off on, on the side here. Um, we get into this uh, this final part of the minute where uh, uh, Joe Spano is playing the NASA director, who I'm assuming is Gilruth. He's supposed to be, he's supposed to be Gilruth. And uh, we have uh, Glenn uh, Lunny, uh, who's one of the flight directors. Uh, Gene Krantz, who is probably not supposed to be there, but he's he's there anyway. So Gene Gene is talking, and uh, Deke Slayton. Um, and from a political point of view, Gilruth needs to know what the odds are that uh, that Apollo thirteen will get back. Nixon wants to know. Um, and I w- I just want to bring up there's a fascinating book. Um, it's uh, it's written by a, a uh, Professor John Logsdon of uh, uh, George Washington University. A couple of years back, he wrote a book called After Apollo, Richard Nixon and the American Space Program. A lot of it is dry, but if you're interested in the history of space policy, it's a fantastic book because I've never quite, it, it, it never was quite clear to me what Nixon had against the space program or what was, you know, it, 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 the way he's always painted as, oh, he wants to get rid of the space program. And it was... It was it was some of that, but it's more of what he was facing on a budgetary uh, situation. And he came out with about a month before Apollo 13, he uh, listed out three major decisions about the uh, the space program. And uh, one was to treat the space program as uh, one area of domestic uh, policy competing with all the other domestic policies, not and not as its own privilege. Like NASA doesn't get a special place in the budget; it's it's up there with the National Park Service. And um, uh, uh, you know, and, and food stamps, and all and other, th- and, and it, it it had to it had to fight everything else in the in the budget. It wasn't there was nothing special about NASA. One of the ways that um, that Nixon wanted to get away from uh, having NASA being a, a federal budget buster was he wanted to lower U.S. ambitions in space by ending human spaceflight beyond low Earth orbit for the foreseeable future and not embark on another space goal that required a massive investment similar to Apollo. So he didn't want to go to Mars. It's like, let's keep everybody in low Earth orbit. We'll build a space shuttle that you can reuse. You know, you wipe it off and put it back on the, on the launch pad and ship it around the, the Earth again. And that would bring the budget down because the goals were smaller. And then wow. the third part of the Nixon doctrine was to build NASA's post-Apollo program around the space shuttle and without a, establishing a specific goal of a long-term strategy for the shuttle, it's just something here. Here's a reusable spacecraft, and we'll figure out what we're going to do with it later. That was the kernel. That was the seed of the uh, of the space shuttle program, that there would be a reusable space shuttle that would take us into orbit. What they were going to do with it, they didn't even know about a space station, but it was going to be there. That was going to be the vehicle. You could reuse it and reuse it, and then you wouldn't be spending so much money but you wouldn't have you. We wouldn't have to go to Mars. We wouldn't have to go back and build a moon base. All that was off the table. So we'd stay close, 
close in the neighborhood rather than going into deep space, at least with manned missions. And that was a that was a pretty large change. I mean, that that's affected spaceflight now for 30 years, and it all started here. There's a lot, you know, things that we think about that we didn't really like. Like if you understand Nixon's thinking on the whole thing, N- NASA was a a political liability for him. You know, a disaster like Apollo 13, like this, like this potential for disaster. He was worried about being reelected in 1972. And after Apollo 13, that's when uh, the mission, the missions at the end of the, you know, like the Apollo 18 and Apollo 19 up to Apollo 20, all that got canceled because he was worried about losing people, that he thought the odds were against you. You know, you've, you've been playing it, you know, pretty, it, it, things have been, your luck might run out. So, and actually he wanted to cancel, in 1972, we had Apollo 16 and Apollo 17. He wanted to cancel Apollo 16 and Apollo 17 simply because it was coming up at election time. And if anything, you know, what if, what happens if we had another Apollo 13 and it didn't come out as good an ending as Apollo 13 for, for 16 or 17? So he originally wanted to cancel those so that uh, the election was freed up and he wouldn't have to worry about it. But uh, they managed to talk him out of that. And uh, in return, uh, they dropped 18, 19, and 20 just so that they'd have money for space shuttle development and also be able to use the, uh, the last of the uh, Saturn Vs to launch Skylab, which would have been Apollo 20. You know, the, uh, the, the thing that always, the, 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 the fact that always got me, and I, and I mean this by, in no political uh, affiliation with anybody, but it was that Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, clip where he mentioned that the bank bailouts that we had a few years ago, the the amount that we paid to bail out the banks uh, was was more than the entire uh, cost of NASA from start to till now. Yeah, yeah, uh, easily. Yeah, and it was like, <laughs> oh my god! I mean, when you think, I mean, you're talking about all of the hardware and people and everything, the entire running budget. Um, that was just a. They really put it in perspective of how well NASA stretched a dollar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they really got uh, a lot of payback. And as you know, as the seventies wore on, as, you know, after Apollo thirteen here, when we get into seventy one and seventy two, they were doing things like pulling the seats out of Apollo fifteen to use, reuse them in Apollo sixteen. Uh, you know, they were looking when they built Skylab. Skylab was pretty much built out of spare parts. I mean, it was the remnants of a of a Saturn V mission that had been canceled. Um, because they needed a Saturn V to get a dry workshop into into space, they were using uh, they were using radio equipment that had been left over from the Gemini program. And there's even actually if, if you go to the National Air and Space Museum uh, and say hi to Jennifer Labasse when you get there, <laughs> but when after you see Jennifer, go to the uh, the backup Skylab that's in the middle of the uh, 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 National Air and Space uh, Museum, and if you look at the very bottom of the ship, you'll see a uh, on the uh, on the airlock. You'll see a Gemini hatch, which is they knew that the hatch worked, so they just bolted it on the side of uh, on the side of Skylab and used that as an airlock because they knew that the hatch was airtight. And uh, yeah, that's that's it. Kind of became the uh, uh, you know it's like a Goodwill store. They just kept, kept using consignment <laughs> consignment work, and if it worked, they uh, they put it up there and it and and used it because that that saved their budget. I literally never knew that. Yeah, it's a it's a fun thing. I always, whenever I go see a train, you know, like a the Skylab trainer in Huntsville, I always look for the uh, the Gemini door. It's just a it's just a cute little thing. When once you notice it, you can't unnotice it. <laughs> it's a uh, you know it's fun and I mean you and you and I both do modeling and 
not 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 the kind of modeling where you're walking down the runway, but it's, like, <laughs> yeah. a lot of a lot of testers glue and stuff. But uh, it was the thing about Skylab was it was the biggest kit bash ever. So it was just uh, an interesting, uh, interesting amalgamation of a lot of used parts. I think one of the saddest things was when um, when Apollo 17, when the mission, when they finished the Apollo 17 mission, Nixon sent a message thanking the astronauts, and uh, part of the message was he said this may be the last time in this century that men will walk on the moon, and unfortunately he was right. They they didn't walk on on the moon for the rest of the rest of the 20th century, but it's all you know part of. Uh, Nixon's worries in the 1972 election stemmed from uh, this near tragedy that was uh, Apollo 13, and, and it's and it's illustrated in this thing of wondering about the odds. He was uh, Nixon, like most other politicians, are very political animals, and they have to <laughs> measure their pluses and losses. So uh, wow. a difficult time. It allows in this particular minute, it allows a very Gene Kranz answer to the question of what the odds are, and he's like, "We're we don't have room to fail." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, a uh, a very <laughs> it's a a very uh, subtle, intense uh, minute, but it's got a lot of space history and a lot of background buried in it, which is why I love going through these movies at this in this format. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's uh, an interesting way to finish up the weekend and seeing how you know the stuff that they were they were dealing with technical issues, and then on top of that, they have to wrestle you know wrestle politics. On uh, it's an amazing thing that any of these guys got any sleep at night. Uh, just another another fascinating moment in this great movie. Uh, for folks, I, we we always have a great conversation here. But for folks who would like to join our conversations, we're always available on the on the social media. You can find us out there on Twitter at Apollo Thirteen Minute, or on Facebook at the Apollo Thirteen Minute Mission Control. And if you haven't listened to any of our previous episodes, go to the big website Apollo Thirteen Minute dot com. You can listen to all the previous minutes there, and we're also available on iTunes or Google Play. We will be back next week with a whole bunch of new new episodes as we watch uh, this continuing drama. Now things are just getting worse and worse, and now they've got to figure out how to change those odds that they were talking about in this minute. It looks like we're coming up on uh, on loss of signal in about thirty seconds, so we will see you here next week. Have a great weekend uh, here on the Apollo Thirteen Minute. Mm-hmm.